Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and talking about the Ballon d'Or. The biggest individual prize in world football is coming up to be decided at the end of October and we thought we'd take a look through the 30 nominees and create our own top 10s out of it. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is our transfer group, Mr Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, feeling like a bit of a, of a rank guru a rank god no i can't be called that can i rank guru uh for today um but yeah this is 
a very interesting show. The ceremony is actually held in Paris um, on Monday, October the 30th. So we're a little bit ahead of the game here, but I think that's nice. I think that there's a few storylines coming out now around the Ballon d'Or and seeing as we're in an international break where people are just twiddling their thumbs, wondering what to talk about. This is perfect. Ballon d'Or conversation, lovely. Generally regarded as football's most prestigious individual award, but Obviously, there's the age-old debate. Is it just a popularity contest? We'll get to that, I'm sure, uh, during this conversation because we won't agree on everything, will we, mate? We can't can't agree on everything here when you're debating the the form and the, the trials and tribulations of 30 magnificent footballers. We can't have exactly the top ten, same top 10 can we no we will not do i'm sure and i'm sure there'll be differences in in orders and i'm sure there'll be differences in the names in these top 10 although i would suggest that we'd be probably pretty close to the mark yeah um, i think so um, we'll see how we go Yeah, exactly. I mean, just to remind everybody that obviously the Ballon d'Or traditionally was rewarded to the best player over the 12-month period of January to December. And happily, that is no longer the case. It's based over the course of a football season, August to the end of July, which makes much more sense. Um, And in case you're still wondering how the winner is actually picked when it comes to a Ballon d'Or, the winner is decided by 100 journalists from FIFA's 100 top-ranked member nations. And each journalist gets to make their top five picks from this 30-man shortlist. So they can't go off-piste. They have to stick to this list and pick their top five. And then you each position earns a different points value. So their first place gets six points, second gets four points, third gets three points, fourth gets two points, and fifth gets one point. And then, as you can expect... They'll, all their points get sorted up and we, we discover uh, who the winner is. So probably important that we do lay that out at the beginning of this conversation so you can see how it all pans out. But ultimately, I think we'll just get stuck into this 30-man shortlist initially. We can't rank all 30 of them, so I think it's best to just like dismiss 20 of them. Uh, it's too it's long. It's a bit harsh, but it is, it's, it's the only <laughs> way forward, unfortunately. It does feel like that. I'm going to rattle through the names, mate, and you tell me whether they're included in your top 10 conversation or not. All right. How does that okay. sound? Yeah, that sounds good. And then if you've got different, differing ones, and we'll have to, uh, we'll have to work it out as we go. But it sounds good. Let's start with that. Okay. So let's see where we end up here. Uh, Ulin Alvarez. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt Ulin Alvarez should be in that top 10 conversation. So he'll be back in the show later on. Nicolo Barella. No, but I'm, I, I feel bad about it because I love Barella. Um, there are some names here I can dismiss relatively easily. Um, I think Barella has been fantastic. The heartbeat of, of this inter side that, that got to the Champions League final, of course. But I, I think I'm going to have to put him just outside the top 10. I think he's probably in a sort of 13th, 14th kind of spot. So, so it's a no for Barella. Yeah. Probably right there, mate. Um, I know initially you had a temptation to put him into your top 10, and I think you've made the right decision there to drop him out of it. The next one's an interesting one. The third name on the shortlist is Jude Bellingham. No, no. Like, as in Jude Bellingham has started this season incredibly, and there is obviously this case that you look at the you know what he's done at Real Madrid and you think, incredible. But actually, Borussia Dortmund failed to win the league from a position of power. Yes, it was unfortunate. Yes, it was sad, but... It happened. He missed quite a lot of that ending stretch due to injury. And whilst he's obviously done enough to earn himself this mega move to Real Madrid, if you look at last season, I think that Bellingham has to be relatively comfortably outside 
of the top 10 of this list. I, I don't even think he's probably in the top 20 don't last you? season. Oh. But considering how he started, let's come back to that one next year. Yeah, uh, I think he would be in my top 20. Um, what if Dortmund had won the league? Do you think I would have changed it? Yeah, I think it would have definitely pushed him up. You, you get fanned by the propellers of fate sometimes. And you have to be, I think, a ridiculous individual. For example, one only one of my top 10 didn't win a trophy last season. And that's because the individual performances were so magnificent that I thought it was unfair to leave him out. So mm. to, to actually be in this top 10 conversation, it's it's almost a prerequisite. There are exceptions, but most of the time it's a pretty prerequisite thing to actually have won a trophy. And so therefore, I think if Bellingham had basically captained, not if not always with the armband, but had, had kind of led this Dortmund team to breaking that Bayern streak, then that would have maybe changed things, but he didn't. And so, therefore, the margins are pretty small here. We're talking about elite footballers. The margins have to be quite small. Yeah, and to be fair, he is nominated for the Copper Trophy, which is given to the world's best under-21 player. And no English player has actually ever won that trophy before. Uh, Gabby won it last season. Uh, past winners include Pedri, uh, De Ligt, Mbappe. So that's not bad company to be in for now. So maybe, maybe Bellingham will manage to clinch that one instead. Let's move down to fourth in the list. Tough one, this. Karim Benzema. No, no, oh. I don't think so. Well, he's the holder. His he's num- the holder. His numbers were good and he, he put up strong numbers. There were some big showings, obviously. We saw those big wins in, in the Copa del Rey against Barcelona where he was absolutely crucial. But he missed a lot of the season due to injury. Um, Real Madrid won just, obviously, the Club World Cup and, and the Copa del Rey. Now, I say just. Most clubs would kill for that. Um, but I, I think in the context of that Real Madrid season... He was no longer the the beacon of light in that Real Madrid team. And I think that whilst his performance was fine, he missed way too much of it and the World Cup in order to be in this top Mm. 10. So I'm going to say no to Benzema. Mm, Interesting. Um, I think you've made the right decision, but it just seems harsh on him because he's probably out of this conversation forever now, Benzema. Won it last time, and now you look that's most it. like literally ninety nine point nine percent of footballers never get near a Ballon d'Or. He's won one. He's a he can, he can stroll off into the sunset and into the sands in peace. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, oh, mate, next on here we've got a goalkeeper. We all know how I feel about goalkeepers being listed for the Ballon d'Or. Uh, Bono, who was at Sevilla, now at Al Hilal. He's not in your top ten, is he, mate? No, he's not. And to be honest, I'm pretty. I think it's pretty remarkable that he's on this list. Yes, Sevilla obviously won the Europa League, but their domestic form was pretty atrocious. And I don't think that whilst Bono had a good World Cup, which is probably what has propelled him up here into yeah. the into the nominations, I, I would I, I would make an argument that Bono is bottom of this thirty. Mm, that's interesting. Um, yeah, possibly there's another contender further down. I'll talk about him in a minute. Kevin De Bruyne. Yes. Shock. He came third last season, so he's still in the conversation. Obviously, been injured for this actual campaign, but remember that this is only taking into account last season. Nothing from this season actually counts towards this, so don't let recency bias cloud any of this, but Kevin De Bruyne is going to be in Jack's 10. Um, Ruben Dias. No, but he was the closest defender to getting to, to, to nodding his head in. Oh, you haven't got any defenders. I've got zero defenders in oh. my top 10, which is pretty, you know, it's quite fancy and flash, isn't it? And and I do appreciate that it's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but 
Equally, I think that there is an element here that whilst I'm picking my top 10, I'm also trying to get a flavour of what I think it will look like. And yeah. defenders struggle with this award. You know, obviously Virgil van Dijk came very close a couple of years back, but it, you have to go back to Fabio Cannavaro to actually pick out a defender who won this award. They tend not to stack up, especially when numbers and statistics start getting thrown about. So Ruben Dias would have been, in, again, in that kind of Barella category, just outside um, of the top 10. But he probably has been the best defender on the planet. There was a really interesting interview recently with players like William Saliba, who basically said that he, their Ruben Diaz is the gold standard, and he was he was so crucial to Manchester City's treble. But I'm going to leave him out because I like fancy flash wingers. You've just reminded me of me, me and Sam went to the Bell and Door and just asked Virgil Van Dijk about the aftershave thing. So uh, that's that's a nice little memory just been triggered. Um, what about Antoine Griezmann? Yes, he's in he's your ten. The, he is the only player in my 10 that I mentioned without a trophy to his name. And I want to talk mm. about him more later. So I, mean, I don't I like to, that. He's in my top 10. Yeah. That feels like recency bias to me. I'm looking forward to your argument on that one. Um, Ilkay Gundogan. No. Oh, mate. See, he would be in my top 10. Okay. He'd well, like we, one... have, we have individual top 10s. So that's okay. We're all right there. He is so clutch. So important. 11th. <laughs> he's 11th. He's, he's missed by a spot. But, he, ah, oh, it's it's so it's so difficult, and and obviously the clutch goals, the goals in the FA Cup final, he's been so so brilliant for Manchester City and was and walked out in in style. But I have left him just out of my list. I'm sorry. Hmm. What about Guardiola? No, I no, he hasn't because he got no more defenders. Don't even ask that. Well, no, but also I think whilst Guardiola is right up there with the, the best young talents in Europe, he had a pretty good season. He won the DFB Pokal with, with Leipzig, but they, you know, we saw the Leipzig players talking about last season and a lot of them were really disappointed with the fact that they weren't able to challenge at the sharp end in a season where Bayern Munich fell off and Borussia Dortmund looked vulnerable. And it felt like a real opportunity for Leipzig that they just fully didn't take. And whilst Guardiola has obviously played well enough to earn this big move to Manchester City, I th- and he obviously came third at the World Cup as well. I do think there's just an element of there's an element of recency bias to that in in itself in mm. his nomination. I think and and that move making maybe more of it than than perhaps it had before. So I'm I'm going to say no to Guardiola. I feel like I'm just listing Man City players at this point. But what about Erling Haaland? He had a good year. Yeah, uh, no, he's the, the 29. No, yeah, he's <laughs> uh, Harry Kane. No, um, again, a very very good player. And just move for a lot of money. <laughs> is a good yeah, good, good footballer actually. Yeah, play, plays the game well. But I mean, you look, you look at what it was. He missed the penalty that basically sent out England out of the World Cup. Another year, obviously, with with no silverware. Obviously, put up good numbers in the Premier League, but was eclipsed, I think, in in many ways. It's a season which in which Tottenham didn't qualify for Europe. I, I don't think you can justify putting Kane into a top ten. Randall Colomuani. No. Um, again, earned his big move, but missed the big chance in the final, didn't he, at the World Cup? Maybe if that goes in and he wins the World Cup, he, he <laughs> cha- it really changes it. Andrew Finn and Frankfurt finished seventh, I think, in the, in the Bundesliga. They weren't very good last year. Colomboani was their best player by a distance, but I think that whilst he, he put in some impressive individual performances and obviously made his mark enough to actually get game time in the World Cup with this France team, I, I don't think he's anywhere near this top 10 conversation, to be honest. No, not yet. Um, Kavisha Kvaratskhelia. I have left Kvaradona out um, and I'm mm. sad to have done so, but 
I think that whilst his performances were electric, he was slightly overshone by a, a Napoli compatriot. Again, he's, he would have been my sort of five, six honourable mentions list. And so he, he's just on the edge of that top 10. We're going to see what it looks like this season for him. But obviously the trajectory mm. looks good. Maybe if he doesn't have a, a similar season to last campaign this year, that height might drop off a bit and it might just allow him to, to flourish a little bit more. So I think Cavada will be back in the Ballon d'Or conversation at some point, but I don't <laughs> think it's this year. Sometime in the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, because he's got ages left. Uh, Lewandowski. No, again, left him out. An incredible season. Barcelona won La Liga and the Supercopa. And weirdly, there are not very many Barcelona players in this list, despite the fact that they won La Liga. Um, but I think that the campaign, you know, in the Champions League lets them down. And I think that Poland's World Cup campaign probably doesn't sit brilliantly here either. So Lewandowski, another one in the honourable mentions, but but just outside. This goalkeeper, I'm okay with being in the list. Emiliano Martinez. Yeah, would have been top of the three goalkeepers in the list, I think. Mm. Um, obviously, his heroics were were very, very impressive. And Villa pushed up to actually claim a European spot. So lots lots to like about that. But he doesn't get near my top 10, I'm afraid. What about his brother, Lautaro Martinez? <laughs> not really his brother. Not really his brother. Can we come back to this one? Mm. I've really struggled with this one. There's another player. I'm going to say I've got a 50-50 going. At one point, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the 50-50 right oh, at the okay. end of this segment. So let's come back to Lautaro. Recency bias again here, I think, coming mm. in. Uh, Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, yeah, he's made the list, yeah. Uh, Lionel Messi. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kim Minye. No, although in the honourable mentions list, I think the best defender outside yeah. of outside of Ruben Dias last year in Europe. Um obviously made that move to Bayern in the summer. And you can see the hole in Napoli's defence where he used to be. Um, has really stepped up in a brilliant, brilliant signing for Napoli. And I think he will be a brilliant signing for, for Bayern Munich as well. But yeah, just outside. Okay, man, I can't believe he's still on the list, but fair play to him, Luka Modric. Yeah, no, I mean, no, but he, you know, fair play to him. As he's say, surprised still, people before on this list, but not this year. He still has that incredible ability to control games at points, but I think that his influence is starting to wane. We saw a, a couple of moments of magic from him in the Champions League last mm. season, those games, especially in the group stages, I thought. But I think that his time has come and gone. The, the star has risen and fallen again. Mm, that's fair enough. Jamal Musiala. No, but again, he will be back. This is, He's a player that... I think sometimes you, you look at the, the conversation about the best young players in the world. And we, obviously we talk about Holland and Mbappe. And, and now we're talking about Bellingham. We're talking about Vinicius Jr. These players coming through. And I think that sometimes Musiala gets missed off this conversation because maybe people don't see him quite as much or his name isn't thrown up in lights quite as much. But he had an incredible season in the Bundesliga for Bayern Munich. He was probably Bayern's best player in a season where they pipped Dortmund to the title, obviously. And he, I think he doesn't get quite enough credit for what he does on a really consistent basis. But mark my words, Jamal Musiela will be a top five Ballon d'Or player at some point in his career. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. We've got eight names left of the shortlist. Martin Odegaard. Nope. Um, very, very impressive player. Lovely footballer to watch. Has really started to, to shine, I think, at this point in his career and, and fulfill that potential that we saw so early on. But... With Arsenal not winning the league, I think it's quite difficult to throw Odegaard much higher than sort of 15th. Mm. 
Yeah, no, he did have a great season, to be fair. Um, this goalkeeper can barely save a contact in his phone at the moment. Andre Onana. Yes, but he was arguably the best goalkeeper in Europe last season. Isn't so. it mad that he's on this list when you consider what he's going through right now? It is. Cons- I think what's more mad is that how good he was last season compared to what we're seeing right now at Manchester United. This is what Man United does to you. Yeah, well, it, it does appear to be the case that eventually this club just seems to, to get its talons in and off it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, brilliant last season. Absolutely sensational. Best keeper in the Champions League by distance, I thought. And still not near this top 10. No, crazy. Victor Ozzyman. Yes, he's in there. The Capo Caninieri is in Good choice. I'm glad, you've, I'm glad you've put him in there. Uh, this one I reckon should be as well. Rodri. Yep. Very safe. Good. Sorry, solid. No, no, no messing about. Oh, this is a tough one. Bakayo Saka. I reckon there's a few Arsenal fans out there that will feel that he deserves a spot in the top 10. Do you? I, I don't. I, it's similar argument to Odegaard. I, I think that there is a, you know, an argument to be made. And I think that actually there, there might be something to do with, with how he sits in, in the youth carries. Obviously, Premier League Young Player of the Year. Sensational for Arsenal. The, the kind of cornerstone of their attacking prowess. And had a brilliant year, but I don't think he's done enough quite to, to shift some of the players in this top 10. Mm, it wasn't a vintage season for this guy, but his numbers still stacked up by the end of the, the year, mate. Mo Salah. Yeah, he, he's not he's not going into the top 10, but I think you never write Salah off, right? Although I would have had Saka above him in my in, in my ranking, I think. so. Yeah, no, he absolutely yeah, doesn't deserve it. No. Um, Bernardo Silva. Again, can we come back to this? Oh, okay, okay. Right. And Vinicius Jr. Yes, he's in there. He's in there. Vinny is in. Okay, so tell me where we are at as we head towards the second segment. Well, I've just got this conundrum about Lautaro or Bernardo Silva. Now, Lautaro, I think recency bias, as you say, is climbing into this. He's been absolutely sensational from the moment under the word go in, in this season. He also obviously won the World Cup and the Copa Italia with Inter and he scored 28 goals, which is only three behind Ossiemen in last year's Serie A. So he's obviously had a massive influence. But I'm starting to wonder about the fact that his World Cup campaign ended basically with him being dropped from Julian Alvarez. He didn't score a goal or pick up an assist during that World Cup. And you kind of look at it in a slightly different light. Bernardo obviously also didn't play brilliantly in the World Cup. Another one with, with a naught naught in that goals assist column. But won the treble and obviously the super cup as well seven and eight which is decent numbers his versatility i think he remains one of the most under appreciated players on the planet and i love bernardo so much and i love watching him i think he's one of those players that could play for literally any club in the world and i don't mean i don't say that lightly i think every single club in the world would find a space for bernardo silva and he would love it no matter what the kind of his manager was asking him to do. And, and that makes him pretty unique, I think, as a footballer. So part of me, my heart wants to say Bernardo and my head says Lautaro won the, you know, won the World Cup mm. and was three behind. I'm not sure what, what I'm going with. Insert ad here, insert break here, and you can begin the next segment by telling us who won. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding expectations, simplifying lives, and establishing legacies that last for generations. Leverage their exclusive network of experts to help achieve your personal and professional financial goals. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect to a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to part 2 of the Ranks FC <laughs> podcast. I have decided that I am putting Bernardo Silva in at number Ooh, 10. There you number go. A little, little brain break there, mate. Just, just allowed you to make the right decision there. I think that you have made the right choice. In your head, personally, I still would have gone with Gundogan ahead of both of those guys. I think Gundogan had the edge on them from a personal perspective and what he did with his big moments to help Man City achieve what they achieved. I would have given Gundogan the edge, but... If I have to pick out the two guys you had to just pick out of, I would have also gone Bernardo. But obviously Lautaro is in scintillating form this season. And I think that got into your head. Yeah, yeah, I think it probably has. It probably has. Well, I've outlined my reasons for loving Bernardo. He's, I've got him at 10. Who have you got at 10? Gundogan. Gundogan so was my 10. Yeah, 10. yeah, yeah. That was, that was literally where I was at, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move on then. Should we go to number nine? You can lead this one. Who's your number nine? Julian Alvarez uh, is my number nine. Um, there are a lot of Man City players uh, in this list. And yeah, I thought that Alvarez, um, given only the fact that he could come in and help that Man City team uh, in key moments, but also go and assist uh, Argentina to uh, a World Cup win and score um, goals along the way that were very important. Um, I thought that I thought he had a sensational season, Julian Alvarez, and you see that he's only getting better from there too. It was like liftoff for him last season. And I just think, yeah, it would have been completely unjust not to have him in the list. Okay, I've got him higher up. Okay. Um, so my number nine is Antoine Griezmann. Okay. Now, this, as we said, the only player that hasn't won a trophy, but I think in terms of the last, well, from the World Cup onwards, I don't know if there has been a player in better form in world football than Antoine Griezmann. 16 goals, 19 assists for Atletico Madrid last season. Three assists at the World Cup as well. He carried Atleti through that march on the second half of that season up out into the Champions League places and to a point where it looked like briefly they might go for a title challenge. They, they fell away, but they were definitely the second best team in La Liga in, in the second half of last season. Griezmann has 
found his place and his people again and he is absolutely thriving and right now I, I honestly don't know if there is almost anyone on earth I would pick ahead of Griezmann in terms of if I was just selecting a team from scratch and I think that is in large part down to his form at the end of last season. His link-up play, his ability to make things happen out of nothing. He is the heart and fulcrum of this entire Atletico Madrid setup once again. And to do that, after leaving in bad terms, coming back, having to win back over your fans and doing it in such style, I just, I've got to give him all of the props in the world. I, I love Griezmann. And I think that what he's done in the last eight months or from from sort of November through to July and again into this season, but separate has been astounding. And he, he feels like joy again on a football pitch. And he's so crucial to the way that France operate as well he is, mm. you know, the, the, the kind of key man in the Deschamps system, because he can do so many different things. He was a big part of them getting to that world cup final with those three assists. And I think that he deserves more credit than he often gets. Yeah. I mean, we, I've, talked before about not really liking Griezmann particularly uh, throughout the years on ranks but I have to say like you know I'm obviously going to appreciate what players are capable of Griezmann at the moment is in great form but I haven't got him in my top 10 um at eight I have got a player from La Liga though that I know that you haven't got in your list is Lewandowski mm. I think he deserves to be in the top 10 I think after winning La Liga with Barcelona last season with uh, scored 36 goals, I think, along the way. Um, he's in the latter stage of, of his career now, uh, just turned 35. Um, probably never going to be in the conversation again to actually win a Ballon d'Or. But I think after helping them back last season from a campaign that started in crisis on and off the pitch, you know, we didn't know what was happening with Barcelona. They ended up winning the league. Lewandowski was absolutely crucial to it. And I think he deserves to make the top 10. Yeah, I mean, I can appreciate it. And I can appreciate the the changing effect that he had on Barcelona, considering the season beforehand. I just think that them crashing out in the group stages of the Champions League counts against him. And I think that there are players here who have done more over the course of a season to change the fortunes of their side than he has perhaps and, and that's why I excluded him but I can absolutely understand your argument okay fair enough so who have you got eight uh, eight I got Victor Rossiman okay um who won Serie A and was player of the year in, in Capocannonieri 31 goals and five assists um for Napoli last year as they ended that ridiculous curse um that has, has hung over the club since Maradona's day in terms of winning the league and Ossiman was, well, it was the gunpowder, right? Every single, the, their explosive start to the season was all due to that form of Ossiman and the connection that he had with Kravalatskelia. And then you, you look at what he delivered in terms of the second half of the season, important games. There were obviously misses. Weirdly, he missed both, both Milan games last year. He missed another one against Milan in the first leg of the Champions League um, of Milan final, and then he he scored against <laughs> Milan in in the in the other game that they did play against him. So, I think that if Victor Rossiman remains fit, Napoli gets to the Champions League final. Mm. Um, and and I think that that shows the the kind of depth of his influence on this Napoli side. He was unstoppable for long periods of last season, and he deserves all the credit in in the world. Um, so yeah, I had Rossiman in at eight. 
Yeah, well, I had Osman at seven, so I've just carried on the conversation there quite easily and loosely. Um, haven't really got much to add. We all know that the goal power that he showed last season, like Napoli, for me, weren't going to even be in the conversation. But what him and Faradona were able to achieve and uh, Kim at the back, um, obviously, all three of them really came onto the, the, the radar of global football in terms of the more casual watcher as well. And that's when you know somebody's had a good year like Aussie men like what he did for his profile last season was absolutely incredible and there's every chance that he's earned himself a massive transfer at some point next year so who's your number seven I went for Julian Alvarez um, who scored 17 goals and got five assists for Manchester City as the kind of secondary man but still there was only I think five players in the Premier League who scored more than him without starting that many games he scored four goals and got an assist in the World Cup and became Argentina's kind of leading light, I suppose, as the number nine. And his influence on that side turned everything around for Argentina after what was a wobbly start, obviously. Um, he won the World Cup, the Premier League, the Champions League, the FA Cup and the Super Cup. You can't really ask for more. He's just <laughs> delivered on every front. He's won more trophies than anybody else on this list. And... The way that he did that to to come in in unfamiliar surroundings, be kind of hailed as the backup guy and deliver performances for both club and country, shall we say, behind Lautaro for Argentina and behind Haaland for Manchester City. And then to deliver time and time and time again in the way that he did, it was just absolutely sensational. He is brilliant. He is absolutely brilliant. And I think that we're going to be talking about Julian Alvarez for a long time to come. But I I, I think that this is about as high as I could possibly put him. I wanted to throw him any higher. And I think that sometimes when you do look at that trophy, you think, could he? Could he challenge top five? But I think that individually and the fact that those minutes were a little bit limited on the City side probably just holds him back to this point. But it's coming. It's coming. Mm. No, absolutely. He's unbelievable. Um, let's go to number six. I've got Vinicius. I've also got Vinicius. Hey, we're in agreement. Perfect. Uh, I think he got 25 goals, 26 assists in total over the course of last season. Won the Copa del Rey, won the Club World Cup, he won the UEFA Super Cup. He was really probably just let down by the lack of um, progressing in the Champions League, wasn't he? I think that's probably what you'd have to hold against him, which isn't totally his fault. Maybe a La Liga title. Like, this is it. Uh, One of those trophies, I think, would have pushed him into the top five. But as it is, it's about as as high as you can get without winning something of uh, of real standing. And obviously, the Copa del Rey is a, a very important trophy. And the Club World Cup is less so but you know still something that people aspire to so i think you just without a league title or a a european title this is the point where maybe it just hits a slight stumble but i think what vinicius jr did last year was he reminded everybody that he is right up there in that conversation with the likes of holland with the likes of mbappe that he is able to put up those numbers that he's able to deliver Time and time again, when Benzema had a season, you know, we've already talked about him a little bit, but where he had a season where he wasn't available quite a lot of the time, where he had to take that step back. Vinicius was the person that stepped up and put Real Madrid on his shoulders. And I would add that he did so under extremely challenging circumstances. Obviously, we saw 
the atrocious behavior towards him by Atletico fans. We saw that happen, you know, in various stadiums around the league. We saw him not being backed by even teammates who were saying, don't wind up other, you know, the fans don't, don't do mm. these things. And, and the Spanish FA not refusing to, to kind of get involved. So under those conditions to perform in the way that Vinicius Jr. did last season it, it is nothing short of, of scintillating. And I really hope that it was the start of something because for years we talked about Vinicius Jr. having all of the talent and just a little bit lacking that end product. In the last two campaigns, he has shut everybody up in that regard. Mm. And what he delivered last season for Real Madrid was the only reason they were still vaguely in a title race in January, February. Um, mm. He was the person holding this Real Madrid side together. And I think he's going to be part of what looks like an incredible team for for many years to come. So, yeah, I, I think this is six for Vinicius Jr. I don't think he'll be this low again for a while. Let's put it that I way. I don't think he'll be this low in the official list, to be honest. I think we've both actually gone lower than what he'll actually get because of the style of player he is and because of how big he is and, like, global football. I've got a feeling that Vinicius doesn't end up coming this low. And if he did, I think he'd be extremely disappointed. But mm. I think that... Brazil, it... Brazil had a tough World Cup and then obviously to watch Argentina win, it doesn't help. The, the standings no. in, in South America, I think, for example. He got two goals and an assist, but obviously Brazil crashed out in, in that game on penalties. So when you kind of look at that element of it, that might be just about what holds him back in terms of it wasn't a great year in the Champions League. It wasn't a vintage year in a World Cup. It wasn't a vintage year in domestic competition. Yes, his individual numbers are excellent, but I think that there is a kind of glass ceiling with you know, just individual numbers and performances without those trophies to back it up and without those really serious trophies that everybody else, you know, that we're talking about here, you know, is a, is a, is, a, is talking about. So yeah, these are, these are tough things, but I think it's pretty sensible to put him here at six. Yeah, fair enough. Well, my number five has got trophies in the bag. It's Rodri. Um, I'll be honest, I think that I've positioned him in fifth because he's a holding midfielder. Mm. And I think that his position doesn't help him when it comes to getting the personal glory that he actually deserves. Like, he probably is the best holding midfielder in the world. So I don't even think I, there's a probably about it anymore. No, there's probably not. <laughs> um, no, there's not. He is absolutely outrageous as a footballer. We've just seen, obviously what it means when he's not playing for Man City. They're nowhere near as good. Um, won the Champions League, won the Premier League, won the Nations League, won the FA Cup. Uh, it was a hell of a year for Rodri. And yeah, so, so consistent. But I've put him in fifth because I just feel that there is always um, a, a temptation for the people that vote to go for the more attacking players and, and all the rest of it. And I just feel like the players that are above him in this list that we haven't talked about yet, they're just sexier. They're just sexier in football terms to talk about. And I can just imagine that as their points start to top up, Rodri just doesn't quite, quite make the podium. Okay. Well, I've put Kevin De Bruyne at five. Oh, Okay. He's my four, so go on, go on, tell well, me one. Uh, he has what ten goals and thirty-one assists in all competitions. Um, we've seen his absence, obviously, rock Man City a little bit at, at the start of this campaign, which probably helps. But 
I think what you look at here is, is a player who did still struggle with a little bit of injury issues last year and wasn't quite maybe as as, as crucial as, well, I'm going to say Rodri, for, <laughs> for Manchester City last year. Obviously, he went off in the final of the Champions League with that injury. Now, he still played 10 Champions League games. He still put up some remarkable numbers. Those 31 assists in itself is just absolutely ludicrous. Probably the most creative player on the planet. But... I think held back a little bit by the fact that Belgium didn't get out of the groups in the World Cup and the fact that he didn't provide a goal or an assist in the World Cup. And, you know, for someone like Rodri, for example, who also didn't score or assist at the World Cup, you're kind of not expecting that. Whereas De Bruyne, with a Belgium side that was struggling for creativity and struggling to actually make things happen, you're kind of expecting him to step up and be the difference. And he just kind of wasn't. And so that counts against him for me. Um, and just a little bit of, of the injury record counts against him a tad for me. So that's why I've got him in fifth. Yeah, he got 41 goal involvements in 49 appearances across the board. I mean, that's outrageous. Most assists in the Prem, outrageous. Um, in terms of like actual footballing abilities, probably the best footballer Man City you've ever had like and that's saying something like they, all of the, the great players David that Silver, please. pass through there I think I'd put De Bruyne ahead of David Silva like it's a different ranking for another day probably but uh that's how good De Bruyne is I've put him at fourth just because yeah of that edge that he has in the City team um and while Rodri sometimes has to do the unseen work it's De Bruyne's like moments of magnificence that just always have him at the front of my mind rather than at the back where Rodri sits mm, maybe maybe I've gone killing Mbappe at four have you yeah yeah I have oh, obviously no. one Liga no. the Trophy de Champions uh he was he's gonna be gutted about this World Cup. he was World Cup golden boot um and, and so obviously player of the year as as, as well in, in France but yeah, I think 41 goals, 10 assists is ludicrous. Eight goals, two assists in the World Cup. One golden boot with a hat-trick in the final. If France win the World Cup, I think Mbappe wins this wins this whole thing, right? But they didn't. And I know, that I know that comes down to a penalty miss and all of those things. But I think that if France win the World Cup, Mbappe wins the Ballon d'Or. And I've just got a thing about the fact that PSG... Falling again in the early stages of the knockout rounds of the Champions League, holding him back a little bit. The fact that they were actually run really close by Lens in the end as they won the title, holding him back a little bit. And I think there is, and I, look, I say this openly and freely, that there is a little bit of an innate bias against Ligue 1. And I think that you get that because of the dominance that PSG have had in the last decade or so. And so to not, you know, push forward in a year where Manchester City pushed through that barrier that they had about winning the Champions League, the similar barrier, and, and there have been plenty of comparisons drawn to this in the past, about between City and PSG and both ownerships being desperate to win the Champions League and, and get over that final hurdle. In a year that City pushed over the final hurdle and got there, and PSG didn't, I think that holds against Mbappe. And so therefore, despite that World Cup golden boot, despite the golden boot in Liga, despite the Liga trophy, despite the runners-up medal in, in a World Cup, 
that penalty shootout going the way of Argentina, not France, I think changes his position by three. So I'm saying that wow. he comes fourth and in, wow. in my ranking at the very least. And, and on that bombshell, I think we're going to have a break before we get to the top three. So we'll be back in a minute. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. We're into the top three of each of our Ballon d'Or rankings. Dean, I assume with the absolute disbelief that you just threw around at me putting Kylian Mbappe at four, he's in here at three for you. Yeah, Mbappe's making the podium, man. There's there's no way he's not. I think even Mbappe himself will accept that what happened in the Champions League and the World Cup means that he's not going to win this award this time around. And it was probably there within his grasp at one point. He did everything he could, but he just couldn't manage to do it. But scoring over 50 goals for his club and country, he's got another league title under his belt. He's had an amazing World Cup on a personal level. Um, scared the life out of me every time I watched him. Like he just, He's just magical, this lad. Um, he's 24 years old. This is the sixth time he's been nominated for the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> like, that is insane. His time oh, is good. coming. His he, time is coming, 100%. Uh, um, I accept that he doesn't deserve to win it this time around. I can't have him not on the podium. Like Mbappe had to be in my top three. Yeah, well, I've got Rodri at three because I think Rodri is the most consistent footballer on planet Earth. And I think that he is just the general. And and what we've seen with City not having him in the last couple of games only goes to reinforce you know, everything about it. Rodri is the fulcrum of this Manchester City side that went and won the treble. The entire system, the entire setup is based about, around Rodri. I don't think there's a player in world football better at keeping the ball under pressure. He makes the entire operation tick. Then went with Spain and won the Nations League on top of everything else. I've just, I, I think it would be disrespectful to not have him in here on account of the fact that he's a defensive midfielder and therefore his, his goal-scoring numbers. He also scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. You know, a player that's not known for that kind of thing, stepping up from defensive midfield with over 10 goal contributions in a season. That's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. And one of them being the winner in the Champions League final, I think speaks for itself. There were other important goals too, notably that one against Aston Villa, when everything looked a little bit nervy for a little while. And I think that when you kind of put ball that all down, I, I, I cannot have Rodri not on this podium. Um, for me, I, I just can't have it. I think that there has been no one more important to their club in world football than Rodri is to Manchester City. And Manchester City, I think we all agree, are the UEFA club of the year, etc. Um, you know, inverted commas. But they are the treble winners. They are the, the champions of Europe. They are the champions of England. They are the best team on the planet. And I think we'll see that soon in the Club World Cup. And no one is more important to them than Rodri. And so whilst I, uh, I absolutely accept that people are going to look at the numbers of other people and look at the achievements of others and some of the records that have been broken, I think it would be disingenuous to not have Roger on the podium from where I'm standing. Mm, but do you believe that that's where he will finish? No, that's where I think he should finish. Yeah, okay. So now let's just consider for a second who will actually finish third. Cause it's probably the only, <laughs> he's probably the only place up for debate here uh, when it comes to the top three. 
But so you think actually when it comes to October the 30th and this is announced, it will actually be Mbappe at three? Yeah, I really hope it isn't because I think that it, it, it Rodri deserves that shine considering what he's achieved this year. But I think that the general, well, I say general public, it's not a general public vote, but that the voting masses will edge towards Mbappe because what his numbers skew. Yeah, the betting does actually favour Rodri. Rodri's um, slightly lower odds to win the Ballon d'Or than um, than Mbappe. So you never know. Rodri might get his day in the sun or day on the podium. Um, at number two, we're both going to have the same guy here. It's Erling Haaland, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. It is. Um, and we might as well say this is official because it's what it's going to be. Um, talk about whether it's right or wrong at the end, but just to dress up what, Haaland achieved last season and in the Premier League and in the Champions League. It was absolutely outrageous. 52 goals in 53 games. I mean, that's it was absolutely it was it was like a genuine monster. It was it was it was absolutely ridiculous some of the spells that he went through last season. And it was he scored twelve Unlike... goals in the Champions League. Like it's ludicrous. It's like absolutely oh, like out of this world stuff. It was like every time he went on the pitch, he was like, "What record can I break today?" Yeah, it's truly, truly like unbelievable stuff. The fact that he walked in in his first season in the Premier League and like dropped this kind of season, a season for the ages, is just like. It's a stuff of fables and fairy tales. We we might never see that ever again. No, I mean you just literally have to you, you pick up his stats and you're struggling to find a game in the first half of the season when he wasn't scoring a goal. Uh, like his numbers that he was putting up were outrageous. There was a spell uh, from the end of August until basically the end of September. Well, he got one goal, three goals, three goals, one goal, two goals, one goal, one goal, one goal. And he got that hat trick against Man United. Like, it was absolutely insane at that point. Obviously, there was all the question marks about whether he could even do it in English football. Nobody comes in and just wins their golden boot and all that kind of stuff. Like, well, this guy's going to... Like, we we were pretty confident of what we were going to see of Haaland, but we didn't think we were going to see 52 goals in 53 games because that is absurd. But this is a player that aims to end his career with more goals than games to his name. So maybe we should have expected it all along. I don't know. I guess what you would say about Haaland is that the goals did dry up towards the back end of last season. And to be fair, I don't necessarily think that that's affected things. I don't (laughs) think that, well, he went like on a five game run without a goal. And obviously um, that came in, in big matches when we started to see him not score, um, in the Champions League and things like that. And you're like, okay, so not a problem, but you're like, okay, well, he hasn't actually decided this game um, against Inter Milan or whatever. And you're like, okay, but whatever. Um, he was absolutely but sensational. The thing is and that once, other, once he started to be triple marked, because people are so worried about him, it opened up space for other people in the city side to go and do the damage. And actually, Ilkay Gundogan, who you had at the bottom of this list and I had just outside it, is a player who started to absolutely thrive in the spaces that were being left. And you look at the FA Cup final and you look at the Champions League final and suddenly it's Gundogan who has these opportunities and space to make things happen. Rodri popping up from midfield with no one marking him because everybody is so focused on Erling Haaland. Bernardo Silva, who popped up with those two goals against Real Madrid, obviously. You know, that's because they were so focused on trying to stop Haaland that they were like, oh, 
Bernardo Silva's free at the back post. He won't score a header. Oh, oh yes, he will. And, and and I think that part of actually the the drop off from Holland actually brought everybody else into the team in in a more consistent way. And actually, arguably, Pep Guardiola would have been just as happy with that, if not maybe a bit happier. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, Haaland has already got a personal award for his performances. He got the UEFA Men's Player of the Year award, which is obviously a, an award that is coveted as well. And Benzema had won that in 21-22. So Her- Erling Haaland's already been crowned with that one. Um, but go on, mate. I'll let you take number one. We'll debate this again at the end because I've got something I want to bring up. But okay. talk us through your number one. Well, Lionel Messi, I think, should probably win his eighth Ballon d'Or. I would stress that this will be Lionel Messi's final Ballon d'Or. He won't win another one. But what he put together in the World Cup, winning the Golden Ball and leading Argentina to their first World Cup since Maradona won it for them. And obviously, we talked about that with 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 Aussie men um, and, and the fact that it you know it took a while for you know that that to be broken. It felt like Lionel Messi had been carrying the Argentina trophy drought on his own back for so long. So much so that he he retired from international football and was eventually coerced to come back. He then won the Copa America and the scenes around that were so incredibly beautiful. And in, in, the, the scenes around Argentina were incredible to see. And I, you kind of think that can't be topped. And then Lionel Messi delivers this at the World Cup. Now, we talked about Mbappe, who got eight goals, two assists. Messi had the same contribution, seven goals and three assists. Um, obviously, we saw that some of those goals come at incredibly crucial times, the, the ones that unlocked the door, the ones that made it happen when Argentina felt like they were knocking kind of aimlessly at, at trying to get through, the last group game where suddenly everything was on the line for Argentina. Those opening goals... In, in the kind of quarterfinals and, and round of 16 games. So much of this was just Messi's brilliance. And obviously, you know, we talk about teams being built around players and Scaloni has built his Scaloneta around Lionel Messi and being able to get the best out of him. But also you kind of forget sometimes that they were missing key parts of that. And, and one of the key parts that made the, the, the win in the Copa America so comfortable, or at least comfortable into the final for them, was the emergence of Nico Gonzalez on the other flank who basically was able to to hold his width and actually balance the team in a way that allowed Messi to do a lot of the things that he he likes to come inside and do. And they lost Nico Gonzalez before the World Cup and was wondering kind of how they would adapt to the situation. Now they did, and they managed to do so. But Messi put this team on his back. The scenes and the emotions in Argentina afterwards, I think, are what football is all about. And I think to go through this and go through what, a career he's had with this one big space in the trophy cabinet, the one thing that he always really wanted to emulate Maradona and to win a World Cup for Argentina. It just felt like the most heart-rendering thing in the world. And I think that off the back of that and off the back of the biggest and most important tournament in world football that comes around every four years, the man that led his nation there and basically carried them through with moments of magic throughout this tournament, should be the man who lifts the individual prize at the end of the year. Like I said, if France had won it, I would be sitting here advocating for Mbappe to win this award. He, they didn't. Argentina did. And therefore, I flipped that script for Lionel Messi. 
So there's already reports today saying Lionel Messi confirmed as Ballon d'Or winner. This um, happens every I, year. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's a safe story because he is going to win the Ballon d'Or. Um, and it's it's an interesting conversation because on a personal level, Erling Haaland had a better year personally than Messi did. Haaland was a better individual footballer across the course of last season than Messi was at PSG. I don't think there's any doubt about that. If you compare what Haaland did to the Premier League, breaking the goal-scoring record, taking them to the Premier League, taking them through to the Champions League, scoring all of those goals like you just described, compared to what Messi did at a club level throughout the campaign, Haaland was better. Messi went 12 games in the second half of last season without scoring a goal. There are times, like like Messi, if Messi hadn't won the World Cup, Messi wouldn't even be near the top three. Messi might not have made the top 10. So... I do Maybe. feel like... You kind of do forget that he put up 21 goals and 20 assists. Now, I already spoke about with Mbappe that, that sometimes in the goals in, in, in league are I could hard. do that in France. No, you couldn't. Thank you. Um, we'll, 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 all, we'll all put paid for that. <laughs> um, and then he rocked up into Miami, which actually weirdly kind of just tucks inside. The League's Cup just tucks inside the bracket. So he turned up oh. into Miami side, who were absolutely dreadful. Uh, in the first half of the season and almost single-handedly won them their first ever silverware. It tucks just inside. Now, whether that's taken into account or not is probably a different question, but it is worth considering. They went in there and did that. He was and remained one of the highest rated players in in terms of match ratings, etc. Now, I know all of those things aren't always accurate, but they are there and people do look at them uh, across Europe's top five leagues last year. Um, he, He put up still... 41 goal contributions across all competitions, which is pretty remarkable considering he actually missed a lot of the season with injury, etc. And was actually, there was those reports that he was saving himself for the World Cup. And look, none of that is going to endear him to PSG fans. And look, they made their feelings known. And his departure wasn't received with huge amounts of sadness at PSG. And I think that that's all fair enough. But when he did play, he still put up these numbers. He's still over 40 goal contributions is, pr- is still pretty remarkable. You know, that still stacks up against someone like Vinicius Junior, who we were just talking about having a remarkable season. And so I, I think to, to kind of take away from that is disingenuous. And I think that the, the narrative on this is so, so strong that it becomes impossible to ignore. Now, I saw various things. We saw Jason Cundy talking on TalkSport saying it would be a disgrace if Lionel Messi won the Ballon d'Or. Mm, I'm not sure why Cundy has is, 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 is gone down that route because that's, that's bizarre. Like as a, as an idea, as a kind of concept, the idea of him winning the player who won the World Cup Golden Ball and was the key player for his country and winning the World Cup, winning the Ballon d'Or would be a disgrace. is is ludicrous terminology. So I'm not sure why those kind of things are being thrown around, but talk sport tax, etc. But I, I think that the narrative is so strong here that it becomes impossible to ignore. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously the narrative it is like the biggest story in football. Like we all wanted Messi I think to win that World Cup final like that World Cup final was is one that will stick in our memories forever and the fact that Messi scored twice in that uh, World Cup final is something that we're never going to forget and you know yes I do think that on an individual basis Haaland was better across the season than Messi I think that if Mbappe would have won that World Cup obviously he still had a great chance of winning it, but I would have, I've still been pushing Haaland to win it. And I thought he'd had a better chance of winning it ahead of Mbappe than he has ahead of 
uh, messy with this narrative attached to it. I mean, you're talking about at the moment, this Beckham documentary is out and you see the big moments of his career just thrown into that. And like, whenever the messy Netflix documentary is made and comes out, like that World Cup is the ultimate final chapter. It's unbelievable that it actually happened. Like sometimes I want to go back and watch it all again because I can't believe that he actually did do it. He actually did go and win the World Cup, especially after the way that that World Cup began for Argentina, like they might be heading out. So to turn it around, for him to play such a central role in scoring big goals in those moments as well, of course he's going to win it. Like, of course. And I'm not saying that Haaland's been robbed or anything like that because he hasn't. But I just think it. we had to, we had to make a case here that Erling Haaland was as good as you could possibly have got. And if if ever there was a time when Messi had scored the amount of goals that Haaland has just scored and didn't win the Ballon d'Or, there he would have been like just, an uprise. He didn't just score 52 in a season. He scored 91. So that was, uh, you know, there's, there's a bit of work to be done just yet. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. It's... um. It's harsh. It's harsh. Of course it is. But this is elite football. And also, bear in mind that, that in a season where international football takes centre stage, as it always does in a World Cup year, less so, I think, in a European Championships, that's Copper America year, but definitely in a World Cup year, the World Cup tends to take centre stage. And I think we talked about the fact that when Luka Modric won it, Croatia getting to the World Cup final was a massive part of that. Yeah. And actually when you kind of look at the way that this plays out, Erling Haaland's Norway, good as he has been for Norway, and his record again is another one where he scored the same amount of goals as he has been in games, is a Norway side, which actually is starting to look very talented. Martin Erdegaard in there as well. It's, you know, how many nations have two players nominated? Or how many t- nations who went to the World Cup have two players nominated here yeah. for the Ballon d'Or? And, and the fact that they didn't qualify and the fact that they weren't there and able to put that, that shine on it I think has to, uh, in a year where there is a World Cup will always limit you. And I think that's unfortunately the sad fact of what this looks like. Yeah, obviously it's just like Norway, you know, even if they do start to make tournaments, aren't ever going to be in the conversation I don't at know, the end know. of it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty oh, hot wait, they got Norway, too so. far to go. They got too far to climb back. Like to actually and, compete. Antonio Noose is the... going to be in this list soon as well. And, and then, <laughs> then we'll all be cooking. Um, but for Messi, yeah. Um, on October the 30th, it'll be announced. It'll be his eighth Ballon d'Or. So it means he'd have won it in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2015, 2019, 2021. And he will also be the winner in 2023. Like, that is insane. Over 14 years to have been picking up the Ballon d'Or over that space of time and still be collecting it insanity um and while i've obviously made an argument there for why harland can feel a little bit hard done by like i don't begrudge messy this at all like i've loved watching him and i appreciate that this is going to be the last time he probably picks up this award unless he does decide to somehow come back to europe and or, or something incredible happens and he somehow manages to win it again like i can't see it right now but you can never completely rule it out um, I think I think we can probably rule it out. I think it's going to be emotional out. for Thanks him. To... It's been real. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be emotional. And um, again, if you think about a documentary of his life, um, it's fitting that he picks up the Ballon d'Or one more time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, no we, Ronaldo uh, in that conversation, mate. Well, he wasn't nominated, so no. unfortunately, there was very little that we. He had a really good week for Portugal. 
Yes, he has. He's been very, very good. <laughs> and maybe this is the reason he looks like he might be extending his career onwards. Talking about playing at the next World Cup, question marks uh, abound, I think <laughs> is, is probably how I would put it. And um, But with that, I think it's probably time for us to call this a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Well, that was fun. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Nave of Hearts. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We're hopeful that there will be a second episode out on the main feed this week. So keep your eyes peeled later on in the week. We will see you very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, Get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.